You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Oh man, it is so good to be here. Welcome friends on Zoom and here in person. Uh, For those of us in person, uh, we are going to struggle today because there's that aroma of praise that's tempting us towards tacos, but that's, uh, that's how it is. So, hey, if you're on Zoom, uh, when the service ends, just fly on over here. There'll still be tacos for you. So just put that in your brain to start thinking. Uh, so I'm Bill White. I am one of the pastors here at City Church, and it is just, it's just fun. It's fun to see everybody. Uh, it's particularly good to have a, a day like this where we get to eat together uh, for those of us who are here in person. So it's really, really great. Uh, City Church is a radically welcoming community on a journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And someone asked me this week, uh, who's new to church and wasn't from a Christian background, she said, what is this renewal of all things? What What is that? And it's basically saying, you know, some of the pictures of, of heaven, uh, if, if you read the New Testament, you have to understand Greek in order to get the nuances, but it talks about heaven as a great big taco feast right and that it's where everyone gets to eat and the food is really sabroso right where like everything's just right and good and people are connecting and talking and that is what jesus refers to in matthew chapter 19 as the renewal of all things that all things have been made right it's like a feast day and so that's kind of a piece of our of our vision is seeing the whole world made right. Um, so just a couple of details here, uh, particularly for those who are physically present. We have bathrooms that are inside the auditorium immediately to your left. OK, there are also bathrooms over here, uh, this door and around the corner, another door. And those are dead bolted. Uh, and so when you leave the bathroom, you'll you'll understand this. You'll need to dead bolt it open for the next person. Okay, so that they can get in because the doors automatically lock. Uh, with that, I think I'm going to bring up my fearless co-pastor, Brenna Rubio. Come on now. So I just want to let you know that the only thing standing between you and tacos is this woman. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was not very nice. <laughs> he just set me up really nicely there. I really appreciate that. (laughs) All right. I know. I know. I can't believe you did either. Um, Today, we are doing something really interesting. In fact, potentially a little tricky. And as I was standing back there, uh, I was thinking of this this story uh, a, a few years ago now. But I was I was talking with a good friend and we were actually we were getting ready for a funeral. And as we were getting ready for this funeral, um, the friend I was talking with was very, very concerned about the children who are gonna be at the funeral and just had this very sort of like, hey, we are not gonna be sad. We're not gonna be sad. We're gonna let the kids know this is a celebration. This is a celebration of the life, you know? And, And I mean, it was coming from this very deep and warm place, right? Of like, oh, we're just, we're gonna celebrate. And yet I remember talking with my friend and going, well, I wonder, I wonder if we can do both. I wonder if it might be okay, you know, for you to allow yourself to be sad and for us to allow the kids to be sad. 
I wonder if we can do both. If we can, if we can let ourselves feel some some authentic sadness and celebrate this person that we have deeply loved. And so today, that's actually kind of what we're trying to do. We're going to try to thread this needle where um, we're smelling delicious smells, right? We're getting ready for a party. That's what you guys came here for. Oh my gosh, it's going to be good. And we're actually talking about sadness. Can we make it like the best of funerals, right? Where somehow we hold them both at the same time. We let ourselves be that fully human. Well, we actually love to start our times together with our kids, speaking of children. Um, and I think so often, like, they really, they know, they know their emotions so much more than we do. So kids, we actually need your help this morning. In a few minutes, for anybody who wants to, we're gonna release you to a story time where, yeah, you guys are actually gonna be talking a little bit about sadness this morning too. Because you're gonna start with like a story that has one of the saddest intros, like in the whole Bible, I think, right? I mean, we are really killing it today on Taco Sunday, right? In, in the topics that we have picked, to, to handle together. But, but with that, kids, as we think about this, I was wondering if a couple of you might be willing to come up and just tell me a little bit about what helps you when you're sad. Like when you're sad, what do you need from like the adults around you? How do they help you in a moment? Like maybe you just saw something, you know, really sad on a movie or maybe something happened with a friend, something happened in your school day that really upset you. Like, what do you need from the adults around you that helps you when you're sad? Is there anybody who'd be willing, any kiddos? Um, and we can stretch the definition of kiddos, you know, if we need to, but anybody be willing to share a little bit? Yeah, you wanna come up? Oh, I love that. You guys welcome, welcome our friend. Oh, Theo, you're gonna come help too. Tell you what, come over here. Can you come over here with me, Theo? Oh, right here, buddy. Okay, since you got here first, what helps you when you're sad? What do you think? Do you ever need a hug? Oh, Theo needs a hug. Can you give Theo a big hand? Thank you, Theo. Is there anything else you want to share about what helps you when you're sad? No. No, but hugs help. Thank you, Theo. I really appreciate that. Yeah, let's put, clap for him one more time. Yeah, do you want to come around this way, maybe down the ramp? Yeah, there you go. Solara, what helps you when you're sad? Oh, I like I like to read books. You like to read books when you're sad? Oh, are the books ever about sad things that happen to other people, or are they happy books that help you feel happy again? The sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, they can be either, right? In either way, can help. I love it. Can you guys thank Solara for us? Thank you, Solara. Can you go over in your bill? Watch for the cords. Okay. Hey, come on. Oh, Kai. Hi, buddy. What helps you when you're sad? Um, when mommy snuggles with me. Oh, when mommy snuggles with you. Yes, I like snuggles when I'm sad too. I do. Thank you, Kai. Tell you what, can you come over to Bill? Can you come this way carefully? Careful. Woo, the cords. Hey, come on over. All right. Here's going to be our last. You're really helping us. You're going to bring it home for us. What helps you when you're sad? Oh, what helps me when I'm sad is when my parents try to make me laugh and cheer me up that makes me uh, happier uh-huh oh i love that yes absolutely oh i think we've got one more this is gonna be our last one 
tell you what, I'll tell you what, can you go over towards Bill? Here we go. Sorry, we're a little bit, we've got a lot of stuff going on up here today. All right, Michael, come on over. What helps you when you're sad? Tissues. Tissues! Yes! Thanks, buddy. Uh, I bet you resonate. And you probably had your own list going. What helps you when you're sad? Is it the practicality of a tissue box? We have some right down here, just so you know. Um, is it someone giving you a snuggle? What is it? Is it reading a good book? Sometimes I like movies that help me cry. Actually, I need a little bit of assistance. It's so good. What helps us? We're going to talk about sadness. We've been in this series all about um, happiness. And today we're engaging the idea that, man, we can't actually be authentically happy unless we learn how to be authentically sad at the same time. So our friend Judy Kim is going to come up and read scripture for us this morning. And Judy, I think this is the safe route up. Would you welcome Judy? Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 13. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Judy. Uh, this morning, I'm so grateful. Uh, we're going to get to hear from a new friend here at City Church, Rachel Yu, uh, who uh, she's been She's actually been at City Church for a few months now. I mean, in, in City Church time, like, you know, she's she's maybe even starting to become like, hey, you've been around for a while. Um, but before this, Rachel has actually been out of the country because she has been involved in international development work, uh, primarily with Christian organizations. And uh, she just has a real heart, a real wisdom as she and I have gotten together and talked. Um, it's just been, it's just been really, really amazing getting to know her better as we've been having some of these conversations about what healthy grieving, what healthy lament actually looks like and, and how is it actually operating in our lives? So would you welcome Rachel up with me? Me, uh, I think I can see everyone. Okay. 
we're good. We're yeah. good. Hey, Rachel, tell us uh, just kind of where has lament and grief, where it's been, where has it been operating in your life lately? Yeah, so um, I think I've shared briefly about this when we were first starting the series. Um, you were the first person and, I interviewed, yeah. Yeah, to, to, to try the practice, but I'm gonna go a little bit more into it. So um, I think some of you might know that I was evacuated from Myanmar earlier this year. And uh, I'm just gonna tell a little bit about Myanmar and the story leading up to my evacuation. So um, in 2015, Myanmar had their first um, transition to a democratic government. <clears throat> and before that, they were always led by uh, a military uh, government. And so the country was starting to open up and people were very excited about it. Uh, it seemed like things were changing. Uh, people were coming out of poverty and businesses were opening up. Um, international people can come in and out, travel, tourism, all these things. So it was a very exciting time. And six years ago, I started working uh, for uh, a microfinance network. And Myanmar at the time, um, our, our country operations were very small. It was about, uh, you know, 200 staff um, and, uh, you know, just kind of really humble operations. But when I, when I started joining uh, the, the organization, we really ramped up our growth and uh, um, you know, recruitment and our outreach. So from 50,000 clients all the way to 200,000 clients, from 200 uh, staff all the way to 1,200 staff. Um, and for, for people who know about accounting or, or business, you know, we 10 times the equity from 2.5 million to over 20 million. And um, one of the things I was really proud of during this time was uh, a project that I had started in the western part of the country, which, you know, if any of you know about the history of Myanmar, there's been a lot of ethnic cleansing and genocide. So in the 80s, it was um, the, the Korean people bordering Thailand, and they, you know, the military had a campaign against them and killed a lot of Korean people. And then in 2016, 2017, on the western side of the country, uh, in, in the Rakhine state bordering Bangladesh, there was a lot of tension between the Buddhist Rakhine majority and the Muslim Rohingya. And so um, there was a campaign of extreme violence that led to hundreds and thousands of people fleeing Rakhine state to go to Bangladesh and become refugees in Bangladesh. So at the time we wanted to start um, you know, offering financial services in that area. And what microfinance is, is basically uh, you know, offering financial services to people who cannot access financial services usually through, you know, they're, they're kind of what we call the unbanked people because they don't have collateral, they don't have, um, you know, uh, um, a credit bureau in Myanmar, so they can't just check the credit score and get access to uh, loans, savings, insurance very easily like we can here. And, you know, credit cards were also a relatively new phenomenon uh, in Myanmar at the time as well. So we wanted to offer financial services in this area where uh, there was, had been a history of active conflict. And so we ended up establishing six branches in this area and were able to provide services to um, every, you know, every group of people there. 
And so that was a major accomplishment uh, for us to be able to do that. And I ended up becoming the chief operations officer of all our operations in Myanmar, um, you know, overseeing 900 of our 1200 staff. And I still am doing that. So you're kind um, of a big deal. <laughs> Did you, I mean, a piece of you maybe felt like that just a little bit? Well, I, I wanted to set this stage because even though I told you, you know, some of you, some of this story, but I wanted to build it up because I was like a badass Christian, right? Like I did social. Let's let's justice. pause that okay. for a second. She was a badass Christian. Yes. This is who we're, I'm sitting next to right now. I'm feeling really good about myself. I, I mean, I committed my whole career to doing, I mean, some people call it missions work, but social justice or whatever you want to call it, right? And, you know, worked in um, Africa and Haiti. Um, and But Myanmar really became my home, actually. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like everything was a rosy picture because things back home were challenging. Like I had uh, my father, you know, dealing with his mental illness and my grandmother, who was like a second mother to me, my brother and my sister-in-law are here with their new baby, by the way. So thank you guys for coming. Um, and so uh, we had a lot of challenging times as a family and, you know, Myanmar became a safe place for me. Um, and so, but this isn't, this isn't like, I'm not just trying to pat myself on the back because actually we're talking about lament, right? So basically, um, you know, we all went through this global pandemic, but I was still like, okay, Myanmar is my home. So I didn't come back to the States. I stayed February 1st, 2021, uh, overnight, the military stages a, a coup, basically. They turn off all telecommunications. Uh, in the morning when we woke up, you cannot call anyone, there's no internet. We didn't know what was going on, but we knew what was going on. So um, they took over the government and there ended up being massive protests out on the streets. So hundreds of thousands of people in all the major cities across Myanmar started demonstrating. And initially um, the confrontations with police and armed forces were quite, um, you know, just not not as violent. So so, but but it evolved over time. So starting from rubber bullets to real bullets, from um, tear gas to, you know, just like shooting people and people dying on the streets, and and um, uh, you know, imposing martial law and suspending um, the need to have a warrant to search people's houses. And so, you know, Yangon basically the the country the capital city that I was living in became a war zone. And I ended up losing just about everything. Like, so, so the community I had, a lot of people ended up leaving Yangon to go to their, um, their hometowns in, in the more rural parts of, of Myanmar. Um, and the dreams I had, you know, and, and it was also the beginning of the decline of the organization that I had built. And even the person that I thought I was and who I thought God was and what he was doing in all these years of what I thought was success or what I thought was, you know, God doing something in, in lifting people out of poverty, all the, you know, all the stuff we talk about in terms of social justice or whatever, then what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I'm sure everybody appreciates you sharing a little bit of like what life is actually been for you and and I hope everybody listening like okay you may not have been through a coup recently right well let me think about that
Okay, you may not have lived in a war zone recently, um, but there may actually be a piece of your life, right, where you have actually been experiencing a lot of tension, like where you thought everything was going great, and hey, this is, the, this is an area of my life where like, man, I'm kind of a big deal, right? I'm living into it. I've got it figured out. And then something happened. Something crumbled. Most of us have experienced some crumbling over the last two years, right? And how do we hold that? You know, the passage that Judy read for us this morning seems like it's an invitation to hold it, to hold the both and of how we live, that when we experience, well, we're going to experience some bad things. They're going to be good things. They're going to be the times where, man, I'm building something. I'm building an organization. Hey, we're building a church. The organization doesn't last forever, right? This church, not gonna last forever. There's a time where things are torn down. There's a time where, man, we're, we feel like we've got it all right. We're working hard, we're doing social justice, and yeah, we're seeing fruit. And there's time where, man, the field's just dead. And we're looking at God going, what, what is going on? We could insert a few other words. When we were practicing this, I. I, you know, it was, I put an F word in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were a little bit more like WTF, God. And we have those moments, right? And, and what is, what if this is actually just the experience? You know, as we were looking at this, this passage in Ecclesiastes 3, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And, and maybe, maybe we both have slightly, you know, or not so slightly pacifist kind of leanings. You know, you're like, how do you deal with that? A time to kill. I'm like, well, what if it's not necessarily even like a, this is always good. It's not good, the pain that we're experiencing necessarily, right? But, but it's real. It's a description of the actual reality we live in. Um, how do we sit with that? Both of us, as, we, as uh, Rachel and I were talking, we were both reflecting on that, that cartoon, uh, Inside Out. Who's seen that inside out? Yeah, some of the best therapy, right? That you can like pay like 10 bucks for and see in a theater, you know, rent $4 on Amazon. I don't know, right? It's, it's this incredible picture of, man, do we actually need to learn how to sit with sadness, right? To, to hold both of them together and see the value that sadness plays in our life. Like Rachel, what you, you had some. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just that, that, movie was just so good because um you know they if you haven't seen it the characters are emotions and they're like you know different colors associated with the emotions and joy is like this yellow bubbly figure who always wants to be in control and has always been in control in riley like because they're all like in in riley's mind right the, the kid's mind and she's always been in control for pretty much most of riley's childhood but then there comes a point where um, Riley's becoming an adolescent and she needs, um, Joy needs to let go of the reins and allow sadness to take over. And until sadness does, um, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and finally, there's just really powerful scene in there where, you know, finally Joy says, okay, I'm going to step back and no longer be in control of the command center and let sadness take, um, like, the command. Uh, sadness just touches the control panel and Riley immediately burst into tears and she was running away from home during that time and realizes, wait, what am I doing? I, 
I need to go back home. My parents love me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The sadness actually has this this power to bring us back into reality, to bring us back into connection with others. Uh, what I love in the movie as well is that all the memories of the child Riley up till then are one color or the other, right? Like it's it's either a happy memory or a sad memory. But from that point on, there's a sense of like, it's like part of growing up is letting the memories hold both at the same time, right? That we can hold a mixture of the two things. And, and there's this sense of, yeah, we actually can't fully experience joy unless we're actually willing to experience sadness as well. I mean, that's, that's part of like, for some of us who have experienced depression before, you know, whether as a momentary thing or as, as more something that we, we deal with as an ongoing issue, right? That when we're depressed, it's not even just that, that we're feeling sad. A lot of times it, it's actually experienced more as a sense of numbness, right? That we have difficulty feeling joy and we truly have difficulty feeling our sadness in a way that will help us walk through it. Um, there's a quote that Rachel actually introduced me to. It's beautiful from a, a, a piece called The Wild Edge of Sorrow. And it says, everything you love, you will lose. There's a sense of risk taking and love that if we're going to experience love, if we're gonna experience joy, we're gonna have to be willing to experience some sadness as well. Yeah, and um, I also wanna share another um, quote. So I started reading this book um, by a black therapist. His name is Resma Menikin, uh, called My Grandmother's Hands. And I think we titled the sermon, uh, you know, after this quote, uh, Clean Pain and Dirty Pain. So let me read this to you. And I think the folks on Zoom also have this um, so that you can follow along. Uh, but here it goes. Healing involves discomfort, but so does refu refusing to heal. And over time, refusing to heal is always more painful. There are two kinds of pain, clean pain and dirty pain. Clean pain is pain that mends and can build your capacity for growth. It is a pain you feel when you know what to say or do, when you really, really don't want to say or do it, and when you do it anyway, responding from the best part of yourself. It's also the pain you experience when you have no idea what to do, when you're scared or worried about what might happen, and when you step forward into the unknown anyway, with honesty and vulnerability. Dirty pain is the pain of avoidance, blame, or denial. When people respond from their most wounded parts, become cruel or violent, or physically or emotionally run away, they experience dirty pain. They also create more of it for themselves and others. And Resmo Menikin is writing about the trauma that's held in bodies <clears throat> and that like, that's not just, um, you know, cognitive. And I, I know we've got some like therapists here and uh, you know, I don't have a background in psychology, but I found it very powerful for me because um, I tried CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I was like, that doesn't really work for me because <laughs> I, I felt, I feel things in my body. Um, and, uh, and so he's talking about the impact of trauma on on black, white, and police bodies. And so um, just applying this to the current situation in Myanmar right now where I'm at, um, I'm just in the midst of this like tension where all my stuff is still in Myanmar because I, I was, you know, our, our company or, like ordered the evacuation. So it was not my choice. I had to leave the country. 
Uh, and there is increased violence and a radicalization of the opposition against the military. Neither side is backing down. Uh, and so, you know, I'm caught in this space where my contract is ending um, in the end of June, and I'm trying to, you know, be there for our staff. And, and you know, they just went through a, 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 like a devastating COVID wave three where a third of our staff got COVID, half of their families had COVID, um, you know, and, and, you know, we had family members and, and colleagues pass. We it, sometimes will be in the midst of meetings and we get a message that one of our field staff, uh, as they were traveling, uh, there was a bomb that exploded, you know. And so we're, we're dealing with all of this. And um, I, in terms of, you know, trying to deal with this pain in a healthy way, I realize that I can't keep holding on to the Myanmar that I know. This is not something I can control or even pray or fast or like, you know, like, or, or even believe that God will, you know, resolve this soon. I, I don't know what's gonna happen. Myanmar could be in this situation for decades. And I'm, I'm trying to let go of the people I love there, my home, um, and even this image I had of myself as a successful international development worker and my idolization of a God who, um, you know, exists to make me look and feel good. And, and you know, it, it's trying to find God and grace and goodness in this, like, opposite notion of, like, a downward descent and in the humility um, that I realize is, like, this gospel that I always heard about but never knew. Because uh, the gospel I heard, I think, growing up, or that concept of grace was still very much about, on me. Yeah. I could be a good Christian. I can, I can do all these things. I can attend church. I can do my daily uh, devotions and all this stuff. I can do my social justice for the progressive folks. And, um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and somehow God's going to reward me. But that actually isn't grace because it was all me. It was all what I did. Mm. Um, and so I'm like living in this tension of being in the liminal space and giving up knowing what's going to happen, like the outcome, like even that idea that like, um, I don't know, that people in Myanmar who are mostly Buddhist, that concept of heaven, I don't know, like, I'm giving up everything, you know, and just it, it really takes a faith and a courage that I never knew before. Rachel actually uh, made this comment to me when we were talking that I just, it like stopped me in my tracks and I wrote it down uh, because what she said was right now, I'm in this space where I can no longer pray American prayers. Can you guys just feel that? You're like, I think I know what that means, right? Like I can no longer pray American prayers, prayers where it's just this sort of like pick yourselves up by the bootstraps and I can fix it. I can work hard and I can just, this, this prayer of control, right? Versus a prayer of like, sometimes it's just a mess. And how, where do I find God when I'm just in the moment where it's a mess and, and I'm in pain and people I love are in pain and, and how do I just get to be here and connect with God in it and, and ask my question and curse my curses and cry my tears can no longer pray American prayers. So this idea, you know, we were, we were talking about a couple weeks ago of a healthy versus a toxic positivity. 
And today it's, it's asking these questions of what's a healthy versus a toxic negativity, right? And asking like, what brings us into this space where we're, we're legitimately grieving and we're legitimately letting go of some control, but, but not in a way that, you know, just leaves us stuck, but in a way that just brings us authentically into relationship with each other and with God. So an example of just bring it, make it really practical of, of toxic negativity might be where we, we are trying to control all these things. Like I sometimes know I'm in a toxically negative place when I get really judgmental, right? Especially at other people. Like there's something going on inside of me, but everybody else is wrong. And I can like complain and I can like nitpick and write like, because like I, I clearly can't control what's going on inside my heart. So maybe I can control everybody else. Right. And maybe I can just like find some surface solutions that'll make me feel like I'm okay. Right. So complaining, even, you know, I, I struggle with anxiety, like as an actual, you know, sort of medical condition. But if I stay in that place, right. You know, versus somehow working even just to reach out to others with the heightened anxiety that I'm feeling in a hard moment to have compassion on myself to let other people have compassion on me to ask what really is going on with me. So I just don't stay at this surface, this surface level, but I actually ask some real questions. A healthy negativity, a real lament means we actually get in there. We acknowledge the pain that we're feeling. We don't try to minimize it. We say, yeah, this is, this is actually a part of the human experience. It's gonna be hard sometimes. And we actually get to grieve it we get to be confused. We get to be honest because we actually believe that lament is just, it's part of the process and it's part of how we grow and part of how we heal. So Rachel, talk with us for a minute about just, we're gonna do something next. And some of you knew this coming in today and some of you we're gonna maybe surprise you a little, but don't worry, it's gonna be okay. Um, Rachel, talk with us a little bit about why we need to grieve together, not just by ourselves, I mean, that can be good too, but why do we need to grieve together? Yeah, and I guess I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull another quote here uh, that has helped me to process this, and this is from Richard Rohr. And he says, uh, an individual person cannot bear either the weight of glory nor the burden of sin. And I think that that's, you know, I, I was kind of wrestling a bit as I was preparing, you know, how much do I share, what do I share? Um, and I did want to share, in a sense, the weight of glory, because I think, you know, if we were to, to, to bear that alone, I think then, you know, it's easy to become quite egoistic and narcissistic. It's like, I've done all these things, you know, and to hold on to that power and that control um, versus, you know, sharing, realizing that all of that, um, you know, there's so many factors that went into play in terms of, um, you know, bringing Myanmar to a place where it could come out of um, it could you know a lot of people could come out of poverty or a lot of the good work that was done before the military coup um, and on the other side the burden of sin i think oftentimes in church we talk about sin as on an individual level and that burden is so heavy it's so there's so much shame there's so much there's such a feeling of like i'm not good enough um, when we like instead of realizing that all of our lives are embedded in systems. And there's also uh, systemic um, 
sins that cause individuals to act in certain ways. So really, um, it, it both, you know, we, we're talking about living in the tension here. Both the weight of glory and the burden of sin can only be shared as a collective. So, so good. Um, yeah, so we actually want to experience that together today. We've been, you know, through, or throughout this series, a lot of our practices that we've been inviting you into that we're like, this is how we flourish as human beings. These are happiness practices. This morning, we want to say, yeah, we can absolutely grieve privately, but we don't want to miss the opportunity to create a space to grieve together, to grieve as community this morning. And so the invitation, you know, some of you may have seen it, some of you may not, and that's, that's totally fine. We want to give you a chance to, we invited you to bring something this morning that would physically represent something that you've been grieving over the last six to 12 months. Uh, it could be, you know, a personal thing, maybe a friendship you've lost or that's been strained, um, illness. Uh, it could be all sorts of things on the personal level. It could also be some of the, man, some of the social issues that we've been, we've been dealing with as a culture as a community, right? That these actually weigh on us and their burdens that we care about deeply. So in just a minute, we're gonna, we're just gonna create some space and we're gonna invite you to talk with one neighbor near you, right? To turn and share with someone near you something you've been grieving. Uh, if you have an item with you and you wanna actually show it to them, you can. Um, and then you're actually invited to come and bring it up front. Of course, you can collect it before you leave today. But that we actually want to create a space, an altar, if you will. That's something that many, many cultures do to create these spaces of collective grieving and collective mourning um, to bring your object up here and, and that we're going we're gonna to have our, our space to lament together. Um, so as an example, Rachel and I each uh, picked something that we're going to place in our altar. And, um, you know, if you come and you talk with either of us personally will give you more details about it. Um, but, but just like we're going to choose to be a little bit like, well, this is the general um, as we, we share with you, <laughs> all of you, uh, this morning, uh, you actually get to decide, you know, how much you want to share with each other uh, as you turn and you talk to a neighbor this morning. Uh, I brought a piece of artwork from my eldest, uh, who is an awesome artist. I love their art. Uh, and so it's a picture of a dragonfly. Uh, and it's it's actually it's it's just a representation of parenting, uh, and it it comes from this like story that my mom and I have back from when I was a kid. You know, now my kid has made me a dragonfly, um, and I'm just acknowledging that right now, like I'm experiencing a lot of like, wow, parenting is kicking my butt, um, and there's actually grief in that. There's actually like a sense of going like, wow, there are no like written directions for how to do this perfectly. I'm an Enneagram one, perfection is a big thing. Um, I don't think there's a perfect in a lot of the questions that I have around my parent, parenting right now. There's just, there's just murkiness. And how do I love well in a messy situation with my awesome, awesome kids? And so I, I have some grief about parenting that I'm bringing in this morning. Yeah, I already put mine up here, but maybe I should uh, grab it. So uh, my object, uh, I might need to open it. It's a, a name stamp. It's very, I, I think it's very Chinese. Um, or like, yeah, I, you can take a look at it. Um, but it, it, this was given to me by someone 
that I loved in Myanmar who really hurt me a lot. Um, so it's, it's actually really raw. Um, and, you know, uh, she, she couldn't really process her pain in a healthy way. In the end, I had to tell her that she was not a safe space for me and to distance myself from the relationship. So, um, yeah. And it represents a lot of what I uh, had to give up and surrender um, these past few months. Thanks, Rachel. So we're gonna give you a couple minutes, you know, and, and encourage you to turn to one person next to you and share a little bit. Um, again, to the extent that feels right for your kind of emotional health, uh, health and emotional boundaries this morning, what's been hard? And then if you have an object and you wanna bring it up here, you can. Uh, if you don't have an object, but, but you wanna add something, we actually have some post-its and pens as well. So you could just come write, you know, a word that's meaningful to you to come and add to our, our space of collective lament, our altar. Uh, and then in a couple of minutes, we'll, we'll pray and bring it all together, because I know, I know we want tacos. We're just gonna take this moment to embrace our sadness as well, okay? All right, go. And if you're on Zoom, you know, you guys can share a little bit as well, maybe in the chat.